More often than not, we first encounter a film through its title. But although Cries and Whispers is an original story written and directed by Ingmar Bergman in 1972, the actual title itself was adapted from a book on music theory. Mozart's Piano Concertos was written in 1958 by Swedish music critic Ingve Flicht. In minute detail and annotated by extracts from sheet music, Flicht went through Mozart's 27 concertos, and in the chapter examining his 14th in E-flat major, Flicht wrote, This is music that you not only like, you love it. Not only as beautiful music, but like Mozart himself, with a pulse and breathing, cries and whispers. That may sound like trivia, but as we shall discuss later, at a crucial juncture in the drama, music helps determine the actual meaning of the film. As for Mozart's appraisal of his own work, he wrote to his father in 1784, expressing an anxiety that this new concerto was quite peculiar. Musicologists consider the 14th to be the first of Mozart's mature cycle. He was all of 28 when he wrote it and had in fact begun its basic composition some seven years earlier. But as far as Mozart was concerned, it was an oddity, simply because he found the opening movement worked best in 3-4 time, an anomaly for his series. But here is the really curious thing. Although the title refers to Mozart's 14th piano concerto, you will not hear that composition in the film. Instead, Bergman chose Frederick Chopin's Mazurka in A minor. fourth movement from Johann Sebastian Bach's Suite No. 5 for solo cello in C minor. Just as the 3-4 time was unusual for Mozart, when Bergman went to film Cries and Whispers, he too stepped out of his comfort zone. It was his 32nd feature film, and over the course of those productions, Bergman had gathered around him a regular crew and repertory of actors. So Cries and Whispers marked the eighth time he had cast Harriet Anderson, the seventh for Ingrid Thulin, fifth for Lee Vullman, the third collaboration with costume and production designer Marie Voss, and the eleventh with cinematographer Sven Nyquist. Yet it was only the fourth time Bergman had dared shoot in colour. The earliest surviving colour film dates from 1902 and was made by little-known English photographer Edward Turner. Turner patented his method of capturing moving colour images more than a decade before the creation of Technicolor, but it was that American company which soon became the industry standard. While it is important to note the development of the format, Kinemacolor, Technicolor, Pathé Chrome, Kodachrome, Agricolor and Eastman Colour, which was the stock used for Cries and Whispers. What is more pertinent to this podcast is the first time key directors stepped out from the monochromatic shadows and into the shimmering phenomena of iridescence. 
some transitions were startling. John Ford's Drums Along the Mohawk, Vincenti Minnelli's Meet Me in St. Louis, Jean Renoir's The River, Max Offel's Lola Montez, Michelangelo Antonioni's The Red Desert, and Federico Fellini's Giulietta of the Spirits, which used colour to mix the waking hours and dreamscapes of a woman undergoing an existential crisis. Bourbon's first foray into colour was All These Women, a comedy from 1964, and the result was forgettable. Which shouldn't come as any real surprise, because, as Bergman wrote in his second autobiography, Images, My Life in Film, all of my films can be thought of in terms of black and white, except Cries and Whispers. Which is true. When we remembered The Seventh Seal, Wild Strawberries, The Virgin Spring, Through a Glass Darkly, Persona or Shame, it never strikes us that Bergman would have better served those stories had he filmed them in colour. But rather than exploiting a full palette as had the likes of Minnelli, Offuls and Fellini, Bergman informs Sven Eekfeest that they would be dealing with just three colours, black, white and red. The result? It was the very first time the Oscar for Best Cinematography was awarded to a foreign language picture. The winner is Sven Nyquist for Cries and Whispers. Thank you very, very, very much. I feel very, very proud and I'm quite sure that this fine award will give the possibility uh, for me to m m make much better work than I've done before. Thank you very much. Cries and Whispers takes place in a country manor at the turn of the 19th century, where two married sisters, Maria and Karen, played respectively by Liv Ullman and Ingrid Thulen, have come to visit their dying sister, Agnes. Played by Harriet Anderson, Agnes has been battling cancer of the womb for over a dozen years and is now facing her final days. Just as the film's title offers two words in pronounced conflict, so too are the three sisters profoundly different from each other. Agnes's many years of suffering lies in stark contrast to the sensual Maria and ascetic Karen, who were both, in their own ways, deeply egotistical and self-centred. While Agnes has never married, her sister's marriages are arenas of private torment. Maria's infidelities resulted in her husband Joachim's attempting suicide. <laughs> While in Karen's case, her husband Frederick's emotional distance resulted in her self-harming. Cries and Whispers takes place over two days with almost all of that time spent indoors. And adhering to Bergman's restrictions, costume and production designer Marie Voss limited herself to black, white and red, which results in the rooms being draped in various crimson shades, the carpets, curtains, wallpaper, furniture, even the wine is claret. Bergman explained the reason for this when he wrote in his screenplay, I have thought of the colour red as the interior of the soul. When I was a child, I saw the soul as a shadowy dragon, blue as smoke, hovering like an enormous winged creature, half bird, half fish. But inside the dragon, everything was red. As for the costumes, 
Agnes is bedbound in white. Maria's preferred colour is scarlet, while Karen is dressed predominantly in black. So, three sisters, three colours, three states. Innocence, passion and death. But there is yet a fourth woman, Agnes a servant of 12 years, Anna, played by Cady Silvan. Anna lost her own daughter several years earlier, and so while tensions between the three sisters have existed on a knife edge ever since childhood, it is Anna who is the sole provider of unconditional love and forgiveness, affording for Agnes whatever relief, physical, emotional and spiritual, she might need in her final hours. Throughout those final hours, each of the women recall significant moments in their lives that now linger about them as Agnes slowly, agonisingly slips away. And when Agnes eventually dies, the individual memories are supplanted by an unsettling hallucination shared by the surviving women. Here is Bergman in 1975, speaking to students at the American Film Institute, declaring cinema as the ideal medium of dreams. To me, the cinematography, the real cinematography, is very, very close to our dreams. It's very, it's, it's, uh, it's very true. You know, you know, in any other art, you can't create a situation that is too close to the dreams. Think only on, on the time gap. You can, you can make things as long as you want, exactly as in a dream. You can make things as short as you want, exactly as in a dream. You are, as a director, as a creator of the picture, you are like a dreamer. I think that is one of the most fascinating things that exists. Given his parallel career as a theatre director, it might only be expected that Bergman structured Cries and Whispers like a play, dividing it into small scenes and acts. But unlike a theatre production of, say, Chekhov's Three Sisters, where the scene changes would be marked by the stage manager lowering the curtain or the lights, Bergman delineated his sequences by abruptly dissolving the image with blazing red implying the emotions have become so intense, the screen has reached saturation point. It is a highly unusual technique, but not one without precedent. For instance, Hitchcock experimented with that idea for the dream sequence in Vertigo, and there is a brief moment in the final third of Black Narcissus, where Powell and Pressburger did it to invoke the loss of consciousness. Go and talk to Sister Cloda. She brought you here, she can get you back again. Sister Cloda, Sister Cloda! Do you know what she says about you? Oh, whatever she said, it was true. You said that because you love her! I don't love anyone! Cloda. 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 Between Scotty's obsession and Vertigo and Sister Ruth's neurosis and Black Narcissus, both films play on the character's perceptions of reality. The same goes for Cries and Whispers. Because the flashbacks are subjective, we have no way of verifying their accuracy. And even when we're not in flashback, when Anna, Maria and Karen hallucinate that Agnes has come back to life, we need to query the veracity of everything. So let's briefly reconsider the opening. A series of shots show us the manor's gardens at dawn. Statues, trees, lawns. Once inside the manor, we see clocks. A lot of them. Time is not just of the essence, time is a central theme. We see Agnes asleep in her bed. She wakens, 
rises and goes across the room to the mantelpiece where she adjusts the clock. Because it has stopped. In other words, Agnes may already be dead. Now, if that makes Cries and Whispers sound like a forerunner to the sixth sense, the real point I'm making is that if red is the colour of the soul, it visualises not just where we are, but when we are. Time and space are obliterated, and everything beyond those dimensions is the surviving women's struggles to comprehend their emotions. Which confirms Bergman's comments on dreams. Bergman was born on July the 14th, 1918, and to mark the centenary, earlier this year, Lee Vullman gave a public interview at the BFI, during which she highlighted Bergman's sentiments about cinema. He wanted to communicate directly to other people, not through their minds, but right to their souls. By cinema, he said, we can reach new, previously unknown worlds, realities, beyond realities. Cries and Whispers was the first time Niekfeest had managed to convince Bergman to use the zoom lens. And the way Niekfeest deployed it brilliantly conveys disorientation. Because the background is the one colour, space is automatically compressed, and the zoom lens shrinks it even more. Which means that just as we are unsure of what the fraught emotional relationships between the women might bring, frequently we are unsure of the spatial relations between them as well. Notice how, depending on which lens is used, and where the camera is positioned, the length of the corridor leading down to Agnes's room seems to change. Sometimes the walk is short and quickly brings Anna into the room, while other times it is long and agonising as Maria and Karen reluctantly go to see their sister. The effect is that instead of having the characters simply verbalise their feelings, Bergman, Niekfeest and Voss cinematise them. In fact, the characters are frequently rendered mute. Agnes is in such agony she can barely utter a word to express her torment. Likewise, when Maria witnesses her husband Joachim attempting suicide, all she can do is look on in shocked, wordless silence. By comparison, Karen's husband Frederick is so indifferent towards her, she cannot find the words to express her loneliness, instead taking a shard of glass and mutilating her vagina. As for Anna, she never speaks to any of the three sisters about her daughter's death. Instead, the more significant communication seems to come through gestures, especially the stroking of hands on faces. Agnes, as a young girl, affectionately caresses her mother's cheek. Joachim sadly holds Maria's face when he realises she has been unfaithful yet again. And Anna consoles Agnes as she nears death. But sometimes the gesture is aggressive and hostile. When Anna is helping Karen undress for the evening, Karen repeatedly slaps her. After Karen has mutilated herself, she looks disdainfully at her husband, smearing the blood across her own face. And in the film's final turn, Agnes's cold, clammy and very dead hands grab her sisters and Anna by their faces and won't let them go. In this way, Cries and Whispers addresses the difficulty to communicate verbally and exposes language's shortcomings in effectively articulating thoughts and feelings. But while words attempt to rationalise emotions, it is music 
that communicates non-verbally. Which brings me back to why music is so central. Very late on, after Agnes has died, Carolyn attempts to reconcile with Maria. After much beseeching, Maria yields and the sisters embrace. But we do not hear what they say. Instead, just as Bergman saturated the screen with the colour red, he overwhelms their voices with Bach's cello. (laughs) 